Hi everyone, you are now in the game, a podcast bringing disruptive insights and analysis into the business of sports. This is Anand Punjabi coming to you from London, England. And this is Vladimir Bosanets coming in from the jewel of the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Washington. Hi Vlad, good to see you here again, talking to you again. How's the week been? Good, week's good. Uh, we have a good podcast today. We have a good show. Um, we're going to, a little bit later, have a fascinating conversation with a gentleman uh, named Jeremy Hochstedler, who is the CEO of uh, Telemetry Sports. They are an Indianapolis-based sports analytics company making huge strides in the NFL. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, and to kick us off, we're first going to cover a couple of interesting stories from the world of sports business. The first one has to do with the renewal fees the NFL is seeking from networks to renew their broadcasting rights. Spoiler alert, the NFL wants to double them. Second, I'm going to talk about a new type of a fan product. It's called Top Shot, and it's a non-fungible token, an NFT. What is that? What does it have to do with sports or the business of sports? Well, we'll get into that in a bit, but the teaser is that it's a blockchain-based product and you'll be hearing about it more very, very soon. So folks, kick back and get ready to get in the game with us. Anand, how are things? Uh, things are good, Vlad. Things are okay. No complaints. It's not quite spring, but it feels like that relative to how it's been uh, in January and early February. So... Boris Johnson has uh, made his big announcement this week that the UK is coming out of lockdown. I read that the UK had the third strictest lockdown measures of all countries oh. in the world, apparently. Okay, okay. I wish I could remember what the two stricter ones were, but... Um, well, probably Australia and New Zealand, I would argue. You would think so, but apparently relative to population size and what people could and couldn't do, they didn't even come into the mix. But I do yeah. understand why everyone would think that. But we're going to be free soon, bit by bit. And <laughs> well, you know, the economy's taken a hammering like so many other countries. Sure, sure. And that's across the board. Across yeah. the board, that's right. So yeah, yeah. I, think, I think some businesses who have managed to survive a year now will be very excited to know that doors are going to open. Yeah, speaking of uh, speaking of lockdowns, I was watching the Australian Open over the weekend, and one of the things that they were talking about one, it was very interesting to see people maskless sitting in a nearly full arena. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, haven't, that's right. you haven't seen that anywhere else in the world. But they were saying they haven't had a COVID death since October. Can you imagine that? Wow. I mean, kudos to the Aussies. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And now they get to enjoy. Well, they've been enjoying for a while because they've been having their regular yeah, sporting their summer. events, yeah. you know, relatively normally at the uh, AFL, the Aussie Football League has been busy. The domestic cricket leagues have been busy. I think they've even had some concert, outdoor, outdoor concerts, <laughs> yeah. you know, things that we used to take for granted. It seems like we're That's right. Ago now. That's right. That's right. And it is, as you say, unusual to see maskless fans in it that, really is in, in close proximity with each other it really is it really is well look we can all hope that 2021 will bring that to the rest of the world as well so before the end of the year however we're going to have a couple of stories here that we're going to touch upon today that i think might uh, shape kind of what happens in the future so as i said at the top of the hour uh, one of the stories we're going to talk about today is the nfl's tv deal which is coming due 
the negotiations have started with the networks. Um, this is NBC, CBS, Fox, and Disney. Disney owns both ESPN and ABC, and they're all they're all in play. So we've um, we've hit the ten year mark. So 2011 was when the last negotiations were were done, and now we're we're in, you know 2021 now hitting hitting this through the next decade, if you will. And Anand, the NFL is looking for double the money. Uh, that kind of surprised me. What about you? A decade is a long time, and I fully appreciate that these rights packages are so substantial that they need you know, a good period of gestation. You have to be looking at a, a long period of time so that all stakeholders uh, can fully benefit from their investments and the monies they're going to earn. Double the money? My understanding was that people are starting to come off watching cable TV. That was kind of the headline take we've been we've been feeling over the last year or so in, in everything that we've been discussing so doubling up uh, on a potentially declining market let's let's look into this further i am i am yeah well yeah let's let's dig into some of the numbers i've i've dug up some of the stuff so let me kind of take a step back so uh, just as kind of a background the nfl makes about half of its money uh and and the league brings about 15 billion dollars a year about half of that comes from television rights and uh, Roger Goodell has proclaimed, you know, numerous times, this has been, you know, publicized and, you know, printed in, you know, many media that they're trying to get to 25 billion by 2027. So they have a very aggressive revenue goal. The contracts that were finalized in 2011, CBS and NBC and Fox committed to pay the NFL about roughly $40 billion. And then on top of that, you had uh, ESPN, which, as I mentioned earlier, was part of the Disney sort of net- network, if you will, putting in another you know fifteen plus you know billion, right? So basically, uh, some of the networks get to share uh, Sunday night football and uh, Super Bowl. Uh, Monday night football was something that kind of ESPN owned. And then we saw over the years, a few players were kind of bumping in and, you know, Amazon was coming in with some deals on Thursday night football and uh, and things like that. So basically from 50 billion over a 10 year period, they're going to 100 billion. Right. And maybe even more. Right. Again, the wild card here is Amazon and possibly possibly DirecTV. Amazon, as I said, was a relatively newcomer to the game, but it's growing its global streaming presence and also its global presence, right? So so according to some estimates, they might actually be in the play to take over Thursday Night Football entirely from from Fox, which will be right. interesting. And then DirecTV has this Sunday night uh, NFL ticket, which which is which is a you know big chunk in it. And it's uh, costing DirecTV about one and a half billion dollars per year. So that's also potentially up for grabs with uh, Amazon and ESPN Plus and e- and even Apple TV Plus has been thrown in as a as a name here. So this kind of streaming thing is becoming more and more active. But we we have talked about you know where fans and how fans are going to be watching their sports going forward in the future. We've discussed whether it's always going to be live. Is it going to be on demand? You know, is it going to be a Netflix type uh, situation for the younger crowd? The networks rely on the NFL. You know, for those networks who are involved in live sports, you know, the NFL is still the golden ticket to an engaged audience. Sunday Night Football has been for a decade the biggest show on TV, bar none. Yeah, 
Yeah. So so it's a in big terms deal. of ratings. This is in terms of ratings. In terms yeah. of ratings, yeah. They, yeah. they continue of, to be in, the the big kahuna. In terms of eyeballs, right? And obviously that drives the advertising revenue. I'm guessing that the NFL contract that's that's now up for renewal is the biggest broadcasting rights contract on the planet. So it is important. <laughs> yeah, right. It is a big deal. Right. <laughs> we expect the NFL's opening, you know, gambit to be high, right? They're going to obviously Art of negotiation, you always ask for more than you actually expect to receive. Right. So is that $100 million figure, nice round figure yeah. uh, for them to start with? You know, they're saying, hey, we, we are, we're the only show in town. You've got to come to us. Yeah, there is definitely this, you know, supply and demand issue, which I think is kind of uh, interesting, you know, to me. And this is why I'm puzzled, not well puzzled. I'm just a little surprised by the aggressiveness of it, I would argue. I mean, the game is pretty much the same. And, and by that, I mean... You know what they're offering in terms of the numbers of games. You know the the league hasn't expanded. The numbers of games is pretty much flat, right? They have to really provide a a a, a valuable sort of you know value proposition to the networks to say, hey, it's going to be worth double your contribution, also, right? There was an interesting study from Forbes which actually compared the growth of the population in the U.S. to the growth of viewership in sports in general. And over the last 10 years, what they've seen is that it's it's going flat. So in the past, the viewership was actually growing faster than the population throughout the country, but now the curves are kind of separating, right? And this kind of makes sense because we know that the younger generations are cutting the cord, right? They're opting yes, for more streaming right. services. Uh, there's also a demographic shift in terms of just how sports is being watched and what people is, you know, what people are watching in general. And I'm not really sure sports is what where it was a decade ago. And that's why I'm saying that that surprises me. But you're absolutely right. You know, I looked at some of the numbers in the ratings. I think this was 2019, 2020 season. The top four rated shows are Sunday night football and CIS, Thursday night football, Monday night football. <laughs> so, you know, that, that just shows you over a year, this is what people love watching, right? And this is very interesting. And the NFL knows this, you know. Yeah, right. They, it's their product, you know. They they probably have data scientists also trying to determine what the dollar value is, you know, of each viewer to the network. And I'm sure they're saying, hey, you know, we know what your ROI is, and we can figure out what your ROI is. So for every dollar you you invest or you spend on the purchase of the rights, you know, you're getting two point seven, three point six, four point nine. I don't know what the number is return on that investment so right right cough up because it is actually value it is value for money to your shareholders and my my one question here is i wonder if they're also being very aggressive now knowing that streaming is going to become a bigger kind of variable in the negotiations going forward and maybe before that sort of mixes everything up they're figuring let's go after the most money we can get now and then later on, let's worry about this other stuff and let's worry about cord cutting and all that other stuff. I don't think we have enough data to sort of showcase other than the Forbes study, right? Yes. That showcases that that something is maybe rotten in the kingdom, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, that that could be it. But but on the supply side, I'm, I'm sort of curious because, you know, the, the NCAA is the other kind of football provider, if you will. And they're beginning to creep a little bit. They kind of own Saturday at this point, right? Yeah. But they're beginning to creep downstream a little bit where you're seeing games now on Friday and even on Thursday, right? And I'm just wondering, you know, at some point these networks and, and, and the CEO of, you know, Disney basically said, look, guys, this needs to make financial sense for us as well. Yeah, he did. He's already 
pushing back. And I just wonder, you know, if if the if on the supply side, you know, the NFL might get hurt a little bit, you know, with, with NCAA, NCAA, just you know, just uh, habits, right? So it's something to watch. But uh, man, this is this is a big number, and um, and I'm curious to see where it where it lands. They're trying to wrap it up by mid uh, March, which is very interesting. So next couple of weeks, we might we might have it all solved. You know, I wonder. I, you know, we read in the Athletic, NBC Sports chairman Peter. Bivakwa, right? He, he kind of came out and said, well, we love the NFL. Uh, I have the quote here. He said, obviously, for my role in our sports group, it's a priority for us to retain that partnership. But I would also tell you that we are very much singularly focused right now on retaining Sunday night football. It's yeah. incredibly, for, incredibly well for us, really, because of the power of the schedule, the power of the matchups, the power of the NFL brand. So... You know, yeah. nothing like throwing all your cards down on the table at the start of the negotiations. Like, you know, you know, come come get me because I'm so desperate for your product. Well, and, and maybe this is a way for him to say, look, uh, we'll go after this one. Maybe Fox goes really strongly after Thursday. Yeah. Disney and ESPN goes after Monday and they sort of car up the field that way. Right. You know, we'll see. We'll see. But it'll be it'll be interesting. So that's a big sports story this week, uh, all unraveling as we are sitting here today. Vlad, how, uh, how is your cryptocurrency digital wallet feeling these days? <laughs> that's a loaded question, Anand. <laughs> I try to employ the Warren Buffett principle here. Uh, if, you know, if you if you don't understand it, don't don't put your money in it. Um, I've stayed away from crypto, and you know, the more I think about it, the more I get scared. I understand. I think I understand the benefits, uh, but the pricing doesn't seem to match the you know utility and how it's used presently. And so I just feel it might be a little too early for my risk, uh, you know, profile to to go after after this. Sure, sure. I mean, I've been hearing about these guys. You know, diving into Bitcoin this week, I was like, you know, you guys are smart guys. You should employ Warren Buffett when everyone is uh, feeling greedy. It's time to be fearful. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I guess that's uh, exactly right. I guess we'll all be proved wrong. wrong. Listen, I don't understand blockchain technology, and people might be wondering why we're even speaking about this. Uh, it's not to say I'm not interested. You know, I'm trying to understand how blockchains work and how they affect you know businesses and our lives. And on that point, something caught my attention this week. We alluded to it at the start of our show. NBA Top Shot. Yeah. Have you heard of this? Before I describe this, you know, a little bit more detailed, I think we, we talked about this very briefly. You've heard of this, right? Yeah, this this just recently came across my desk also and a very interesting business proposition. So NBA Top Shot is a blockchain-based platform. And this is how I understand it. Uh, so for all you crypto experts out there, you know, forgive my ignorance, but this allows fans to buy, uh, sell and train uniquely numbered versions of uh, specifically officially licensed video highlights of the NBA. So in simple terms, these are these are trading cards, but they are digital trading cards. Visually, they're video clips, they're highlights and plays from current and previous NBA seasons. And these these clips, these plays, are bought, on, bought and sold on the NBA Top Shots exchange. But what makes them unique is that the blockchain technology upon which the platform is built uh, is what is driving 
this. So yeah. there's a finite number of clips. Each clip has a specific number assigned to it, and that's what uniquely identifies this particular digital card. And it's the uniqueness of each card which apparently gives them their value. And and yeah, scarcity, right? When we get into the numbers in a minute, the value here, if that's the word you want to use, the numbers are, are pretty astronomical. This is, you know, we, we, we know about Bitcoin and we know that to be a cryptocurrency, but these are, these are effectively cryptographic tokens. These are non-fungible or non-fungible tokens or NFTs. Uh, what that means is each card or each token isn't directly interchangeable like a, like a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. You can't, you, I, you know, if I give you 10 Bitcoin, uh, you can't just give me back 10 Bitcoin. And it's right, right. Okay, these, these NFTs, these non-fungible tokens are unique. And therefore, that's why each of them is valuable. So they've created this platform. They've created these, these tradable digital assets sitting on this blockchain platform. And you and I can log on, create an account at uh, you know NBA Top Shots. You know, I actually tried to do this today, Vlad, and the site okay. was down. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Do it, and then and it said, "Sorry, the site's down right now. It's overloaded. Interesting. Please come back later." So, I guess that tells you people are really into this. And in a moment, we will we will understand, you know, very recent numbers how how crazy it seems to be getting right now. Uh, but once you bought these digital highlights. They're stored in your digital wallet, just like your cryptocurrencies might sit in your digital wallet. Is this clear as mud right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I have a lot of questions, but you know we've seen some incredible numbers here, right? Yeah. Tell us, tell us what what have you seen here? Well, this is it. This is what uh, really caught my attention. So, so the NBA, along with the Players Union, by the way, have partnered with a firm called Dapper Labs, who. Are, or who is the, the technology platform uh, behind this. So this started in 2019. In all of 2020, NBA Top Shot had transactions of $7 million, okay, all of last year. In the last four months alone, NBA Top Shot has generated $11 million from the packs that they have released onto the platform. Now, check this out. In the past month, so literally beginning of January, or rather end of January to end of February, Top Shot has done $187 million of sales. Wow. Of these <laughs> digital clips, these highlights. Yeah. And the most expensive highlight, one clip, a few seconds long, is, of course, uh, a LeBron highlight uh, where he dunked, and this sold for over $200,000. So once again, let me just be very clear about this. A video clip, right? Yeah, yeah. Sold for over $200,000. Yeah, wow, that's that's amazing. I'm trying to understand this. I mean, what do, what do you think here? We have these, we have, we have, we are now trading video clips, which are selling for tens, hundreds, thousands, <laughs> tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, the number one thing that caught my eye here is that he dunked on one of my countrymen. So imagine being that guy, <laughs> the guy on, on whom the ball was dunked, <laughs> right? And you are now part of that clip. <laughs> you are part of this. 
the good the good news is for him the good news for him is that this is a very scarce commodity <laughs> so not a lot of people get to see this clip right yeah that's right yeah no this is this is i mean i don't even know where to start i mean this is so interesting i get i get what what this is it's basically an asset of value it is unique because i think it's it's a unique angle right i think they have they have a certain camera that captures this shot and based on that, you know, they're creating this sort of little, little, you know, video, which is then put on a little hard drive. I think that's what the card essentially is. And then you get to, you know, own this clip and no one else does. Now, there are other angles, as you and I looked at yesterday or the day before, yeah. we were trying to find out, you know, is does YouTube provide this exact, you know, dunk? Yeah. And it does. You can see it, but you can't see it from that angle. You don't see the exact same shot you just see a different you see a different kind of thing right and so what this is very interesting um and one of the things that i was kind of curious about you said the nba players union is also involved in this deal and and i'm not surprised i'm i i would I, i would be i would be probably thinking that that even when they were doing the cards you know 10 20 years ago that the players were getting some cut of cut of that you know royalty too what's interesting here is that no card at the beginning of its you know lifespan if you will was sold for a lot of money initially they all cost about a dollar or whatever 50 cents or 25 cents right now the initial cost of this thing is you know over two hundred thousand dollars and i wonder if this is a way for these athletes almost like musicians you know when they have their own their own you know catalog of songs if they can sort of collect like a catalog of these dunks or highlights or whatever that right. they can later on sell, sell to, solos, opening riffs you know these yeah exactly exactly so so this is i mean it's kind of interesting i mean i'm super curious to see where this takes us in the next decade or so but uh but wow i think if we're starting at 200 grand we're going to be hitting millions pretty soon i think on on some other stuff and i wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing obviously other sports yeah other types of assets you know music right for sure, for sure. I mean, this is it. So Dapper, right? This Dapper Labs outfit, they've already partnered with, you know, some well-known brands. They've partnered with the UFC. They've partnered with Samsung. Okay, but interestingly, they've partnered with, with Warner Music, for example. So I think uh, now, because, you know, the the individual creators, whether they are the athletes or musicians, are intimately involved in the financial element of these transactions. Not, not Yeah, yeah. They're not just the highlight clips. We can expect all of a sudden these individuals to be monetizing in a in a completely unique and novel way uh, what they do for a living. And there may be another some kind of disintermediation going to happen because you imagine if you're a musician and you can get onto a blockchain platform and you own the rights to you know some of your music or anything new that you choose to produce you may well be able to release it on a blockchain platform and and limit the number of certain unique pieces of music yeah and fans buy them up fans buy yeah. them up or if you're somebody like you know Bruce Springsteen and you create a song and you you know release only 10 copies of it and each sells for 10 million dollars i mean yeah. imagine that yes and i can see that happening and you also you also brought up something um we should wrap this up shortly but you you also brought up something about unique ways of monetizing and i think the ncaa and the name image and likeness things might come into play here imagine if this existed when lebron was in high school and then you know playing for his aau club and then now playing in the pros right if all of a sudden somebody can own a collection 
of you know somebody's accomplishments, right? You you can now sell this again like a like a catalog effectively, yeah. right? And I think there's going to be value there. Uh, it's super super inter- super interesting. Does this mean that uh, both yours and mine? interest or belief in the blockchain just went up a little notch because we can now kind of <laughs> we can see we can see the value in in how you can digitally tag you know a, a piece of art or you know a digital highlight i'm i'm beginning i'm beginning to see i'm beginning to see some value here on on <laughs> i'm beginning to see the scarcity <laughs> originally on the ethereum platform and these guys dapper actually from what i understand they've created their own blockchain called flow and so all the top shots, you know, the Warner Music stuff, their own like crypto kittens that's on their own blockchain platform because apparently mm. they couldn't handle it. It was so busy when when some of their their cyber assets were released, the Ethereum platform, they couldn't handle it. So, yeah, interesting, interesting. I, I don't understand it very well right now, but clearly it's very exciting. A lot of people are getting involved right now. All right. Well, we'll keep we'll keep our eyes on it. In today's podcast, we sit down with Jeremy Hodgstedler, the co-founder and CEO of Telemetry Sports, an Indianapolis-based sports analytics company. A rocket engineer turned data scientist, Jeremy has taken his experience as a college athlete and later as a coach to bring innovation and ideas to the sports world. Telemetry works with the NFL and NCAA football teams to help identify ways to optimize their team performance through machine learning models and analytics. Jeremy holds master's degrees from Notre Dame, Stanford, and MIT. And in his spare time, he runs the business. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the pod, Jeremy. Jeremy, good morning, good afternoon. How are you? Great, Vlad. Doing well. How about you? Doing well, doing well. Where do we find you today? Where are you? Where are you working from in these uh, COVID days? Working from the office in Noblesville, Indiana, just about 20 minutes north of Indianapolis. Okay, excellent, excellent. Well, Jeremy, by way of introduction, tell us a little about, you know, your your firm, kind of, you know, how you got into uh, sports and uh, what was the genesis of telemetry sports overall? Sure. So I played uh, college baseball and I became a college baseball coach in about 2012 or so and uh, up at Manchester University in, in small school, D3 school in northern Indiana. And we were... Uh, charting our upcoming opponents' spray charts, and we were spending about 10, 15 hours a week building those reports. And actually, I see my, my good buddy walking down the street here that we, that we did this with. We were spending those 15 hours a week, and uh, I've got an engineering background, and I thought we could automate that. So we automated that, and we turned it into a product. Pre-COVID, we were selling that to over 500 NCAA baseball and softball programs. Okay. And so that's like kind of how we started, got sports data, sports analytics, if you will. In about 2015, we we saw the trackers and in, in the shoulder pads being available at the NFL level. And the one that kind of strikes me is, I, if I remember correctly, Peyton, they caught Peyton Manning running something like 18 miles an hour in the AFC championship game. And we thought, okay, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure that's... Uh, so anyways, long story short, we, we started analyzing the player tracking data to make it you know more valuable to teams uh, than just you know kind of your standard max speeds and distance traveled. We wanted to actually tag plays using the tracking data. And we just started from about 2015, 2016, analyzing the data. And then we started 
marrying it with video. And uh, now we serve uh, half the NFL and, and we're starting to get into college, the college ranks as well. So, okay. So it's baseball and football at this point that you guys are primarily focused on, it sounds like, right? Correct. Yeah, that's, those are our two main sports that we're focused on right now. Got it. Got it. Got it. Is there a unique way that you guys are looking at this information? Just as sort of a quick sort of summary, you know, how do you do things differently than maybe others others do in, in, the, in the same space? So our number one focus is just to use the data in a way that allows the teams to be more efficient, to, to optimize their efficiency. There's a lot of interesting things, interesting questions we can answer, uh, player valuation metrics, et cetera, et cetera, that are all fantastic. But for us, our number one goal is to help these guys be more efficient. And we're using the data in a way that we think uh, when you marry it to video, when you marry it to other data that you've got, whether that's pro football focus, PFF data, or your own internal QC data, we see ourselves as kind of an, a data integrator where we pull all these data sources together and we include video as a, you know, as a, as a data source. And you've got it all in one platform, one kind of a one-stop shop. That's the start of it. And then, yes, as we go along, we'll, we'll use the advanced statistical methods, you know, quote unquote, machine learning, et cetera, to, to, to really drive further value out of the data. But first and foremost, we just want to make these guys as efficient as possible. So, Jeremy, when you use the word efficient, what defines efficient right now? When you say you want these guys deficient, are these the users, um, the, the key users of your product? Is that what you mean? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we tell guys all the time, don't measure telemetry by how many hours you're spending in, in our product, using our product. Measure telemetry by, by how much time it saves you. And so if, you know, something simple where if you're going to go build a cut up that I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here, if, if you wanted to go and look at every time a player was or, or a specific receiver was lined up in a three by one, he's a point man in the three by one. So he's on the line of scrimmage. And he's facing press coverage on third down where the, the defender across from him has inside leverage. He might he might have a couple of those filters go to his his video, his existing video machine, and and he might take him 45 minutes, an hour if he's super efficient. Other guys can take him two, three hours where, you know, those are things that we can get to using the tracking data. Those are about four or five clicks of the mouse. And then they can access that video and they've got that 12 play cut up that they've searched over the last uh, what are we on now? I think four years of tracking data. Yes. So when we talk about efficiency, we're trying to, we've always, we've always said this as well. Video is king in the NFL. We, that's the most important thing. We're just trying to get them to the right video, give them a little context uh, around the, the, the video to maybe save them a rewind or two, but just keep their eyes on the, on the film instead of doing kind of the grunt work of trying to find the 12 plays. Let's just give them the 12 plays. And then they can go on to the next next player and they can watch more players, whether it's scouting or they can watch, you know, more games uh, if it's, if you're talking about opponent preparing for your upcoming opponent. So currently, how many filters are there in the product? Because it sounds like there could be not infinite, but certainly a very large number of filters for them to find something very specific that they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. So this, we just counted up about three months ago. We've we've got a little over 900 filters. Wow. OK, tremendous. Based off the tracking data. Right, right. So they can really get to a very, very granular level for a specific data set that they're looking for, a specific uh, set of plays with different factors in play and in motion, and really, really get down to something very, very uh, well-defined that they're, that they're looking to track. Yeah, no, no question. No question. And would this typically be a, someone in the data analytics team that is the, the, the typical user? Who are the typical users um, you know, in the NFL or in football of your product? Sure. So. 
when we started three years ago, that was our that was our goal. That was our what we kind of had envisioned. And we we pulled in video to QC to do quality control on our own methods that we were writing in, in software. So, and then we were just like we kind of had this you know light bulb moment that was like, well, why don't we just leave the video in app and make it kind of this general viewer? Now we we fully we're not trying to push. You know, coaches are very ingrained in their video software that they've got now. So we're not trying to push them away from, you know, the, the current systems that they already have. But for a newer entry level guy like an analyst, yeah, that was absolutely our focus. And it's, hey, you can watch video and telemetry. You got to learn a new system. Why not just learn in telemetry? So that's where we were three years ago. Uh, and we've just kind of evolved. We're, we just we always say when when you hire telemetry, you're not just hiring a product, you're hiring the people. And so we've got kind of an 80 percent, you know, of us as a product. And then that last 20 percent where we customize and we'll go build tools and and software where the where the need is and so kind of a quick follow-on to the the analyst on the team was was a quality control coach you know they they spend hours and hours in a week uh just build uh creating what they call play cards or scout cards just a very minutiae job that it does build character and, and yes it does help them build an understanding for their opponent but at the same time we can give them more tools and make it more efficient for them so that's just kind of where we started. So, and, and now we're used all throughout the organization, whether that's coaching, player evaluation, personnel guys, you know, performance uh, coaches, strength and conditioning type coaches, for sure. We've even worked with some health folks to help analyze the raw data, not just the uh, inside the platform itself, but analyze the raw data and, and give them, give them uh, you know, outputs that, that really help them drive and, and be efficient and, and successful in their jobs. Does that mean perhaps there is a different user interface or UX potentially? Does that change across who the user might be? You know, because the, the health and fitness guy, you know, or the flexibility coach might need different information or want different information, you know, from a, from a defensive coach, for example. Do they have the option yeah. to, you know, do you feed, do you feed the right UX UI and the right data to the right user? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's part of the customization aspect that we, we talk about. We, we joke all the time. We'd love to be, you know, one simple app like Uber and do it really well. Hey, I want to ride from point A to point B. You're done. Move on. You give your customer service feedback, but we've got to supply. Uh, we've got to serve rather. We have to serve, you know, let's call it six different kind of personas within the organization. And everybody has each one of those those uh, folks have their own unique need inside the organization, and and we'll customize the the platform itself for that specific need. We're, we're kind of if you're right. familiar with the company called Palantir, and we're, by no means are we on their scale uh, in terms of, of who they serve, but they're a, they're you know a relatively hot technology company that just went had an IPO a few months ago. You know they're yep. kind of in this kind of hybrid between. Are they a product or are they a consultant? Uh, and that's kind of who we are as well. We've we realize that yeah, we want to have a product, but at the same time, we wouldn't survive if we weren't being if we weren't able to be receptive and and open to building new and custom elements of the product for our customers. Jeremy, that's a super interesting point that you just brought up. And one of the follow up questions I have to that is then how does your expertise kind of you know fit into that? I mean, you come from a baseball background, but now you get a talk to a football, you know, coach or, a, or an executive about, you know, a sport that they know intimately really, really well. Do you feel that you can sort of scale your team at the same speed that you can scale your technology to serve them? Yeah, no question. I'm excited about the guys that we have on our team right now and we're continuing to grow the team. So we're, we're really looking for the, for some guys that can really understand both 
the sport to some degree and the technology. So that's that's where we really have our strength. We don't have a bunch of PhD PhD guys on staff. We don't have a bunch of former college football coaches or, or professional coaches, but we've got that we're kind of in there in the middle there where we can communicate with both ends of that spectrum. And uh, that's those guys are really hard to find. We call them purple squirrels. Uh, they're really hard to find. And and when you do, you got to latch onto them and and bring them part, of, bring them on board. And we're all pulling in the same direction. We're excited. But that's kind of our our core. We we guys that are really fast at what they do and very responsive. Yeah, we're we're excited about those guys. So I remember you saying last year in the in the podcast that we were talking about just before we started the digital craft um, people that you were speaking to, you know, a group of people that you work closely with. You said at the time your mission, as far as the NFL goes, and I guess it probably applies to college now, is either to scout the right player or to win games. Has the feedback you've received from your client base reflected your mission? Do you feel satisfied that you have gone some way in meeting those objectives for your clients? Yes, no question. And this is kind of the time of year that we reach out to them and ask them for feedback and help improve our product so we can better serve them. Uh, but we also look to data to help us identify, are we are we doing that? And if you look at our Say, you know, our year over year usage, you know, any software company tracks, tracks usage and how much a team is using it. We were, I was just looking at a team uh, yesterday that actually reached out so they could have that information. They're up 10x over over the years. So we know that they're using the product more. We hear anecdotal evidence like, hey, you helped us with our play cards, you know, take our play card generation from 20 hours a week to four hours a week. So those are the types of things that, look, there's never going to be a, a telemetry on the back of a jersey for any organization. We, we know our place. We're not going to be the ones winning the Super Bowl, but if we can help that, that coach take or, or, you know, a coach and his, his assistant take a combined 16 hours out of their work week that was something, you know, mundane or, or minutia that they can then go apply somewhere else. They can, make, they can be the ones to make a bigger impact. So, yes, absolutely. You know, at the, all the time, that's kind of two things that we always say, help them find better players and help them win games and and we're playing a very, very, very small part of that. Do you see your product evolving now beyond the two sports that you're involved with? Are you are you looking are you looking elsewhere right now? I know you've you have a partnership with SportLogic, and I believe they're involved in some other sports with some of the technology that they have. Do you, I will, is that a natural progression for for you you guys as well potentially? Yeah, it certainly is. We've got we've got a half half dozen ideas uh, on a whiteboard that we're trying to figure out where to go next that uh, we've got got some relatively strong experience in baseball and football is that and, and yes you're right with uh, sport logic those guys are phenomenal uh, especially with their technology capabilities and, and they pretty much dominate hockey we, we always say they're kind of the pff of hockey and oh by the way they've also got the pr uh, computer vision chops to go along with it uh, where they're actually processing film it, it just kind of remains to be seen you know it could be a you know, there's a lot of players in soccer, so it doesn't seem like a logical fit for us. There's a, you know, there's some, some basketball uh, companies out there that are doing a great job. It's, you know, do we go, do we spread breadth-wise across the sport, or do we go downstream within our own sport, or do we do a, a B to C type product? Uh, those are all kind of questions we ask ourselves on a, on a continual basis, and and I think we'll we'll kind of have those answers here in the next 12 to 18 months. Okay. Okay. Very good. 
Jeremy, how would you characterize sort of the state of sports analytics in the in the U.S.? It seems like it's really come into into the forefront, maybe in the last five years or so. Correct? Is that is that a good assessment? Yeah, I, the word I would use is is progressing. Uh, I think just naturally you're getting. If we're talking baseball uh, specifically, I think baseball is probably I don't know, pick a time frame, six, eight, ten years behind baseball. If I said that right, football is six to eight, ten uh, years behind baseball. I think just, you know, if you take up, if you replace the word analytics with odds, with the word odds, I think you get a lot more reception to, you know, these new kind of out of the box thinking. I personally don't like the word analytics. I, I think it it's just kind of a, it's that stigma that it's the math guy's way into the sport, right? Where I think if you, you're trying to optimize your probability to win the game and Whatever that is, whether that's training harder in the offseason or is that sleeping more, you know, having your players sleeping more at night or taking care of their nutrition or going for it more and fourth down. I think those are all things that anybody at the end of the day, they want to win games. So, you know, why wouldn't you be open to some of these other methods that I think teams are starting to see that, hey, we have to we have to start considering these other methods because the teams that are are winning and so I think progressing is definitely, I think we're just, especially with the tracking data in the NFL, I think we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg, but we're really excited to see where this can go, uh, not just in the NFL, but other, other levels of football as well. Are there certain sports that are better suited for your product or for analytics or odds or however you want to call it than uh, maybe others? So the one thing that, that we've always kind of talked about, I'll kind of show the progression here. So for us, when we started looking at baseball, we were, li- were literally just looking at box scores and, and play-by-plays. And so it's just raw text. In baseball, the, you know, the, on a play-by-play, it's you know, Miller doubled to left center. Well, you know, how much information about that play is, is, is contained in that text string? In, in baseball, it's quite a bit. I'm going to pick a number and say 80% of the, you know, we're 80% of the play just occurred by that text. I mean, if you're thinking about a broadcaster listening on the radio, I, you have a very good idea of what happened. You don't have maybe the pitch type or pitch location, but you got just about everything else because you know where all the other players roughly were. Now in football, a run to the right, you know, the play-by-play says run to the right for four yards. That tells you almost nothing about the play. You don't know personnel. You don't know formation. You don't know run type. That's maybe, let's call it 15% of the play. So, you know, for us, that was kind of our start. And we kind of had to start building tools. So when we got to football, it's like, well, we need obviously more information. We need more data. So we got the player tracking data. And so then we just kind of had to build around the tracking data. And so kind of long-winded answer here to get back to your question. What we've done really well so far is kind of figured out how to, how to analyze sports where there's a specific play. We haven't done anything with a continuous sport, so soccer, basketball. Now, I know basketball, you can divide it into a possession, and then maybe you call every time there's a shot or a turnover, that's a, that's a different play or a different set. Uh, but we haven't really analyzed a, a continuous sport yet, but that's something that we kind of have to, anytime a new problem comes up, we, we got to go figure it out and, and knock it down. So maybe that's kind of next up for us. But right now, yeah, we're not great at, at continuous sports. On that point, is it harder to create uh, the data sets, you know, to look at the data and receive something valuable out of it if the sport is more fluid? Obviously, in football, there's a play, it starts and it ends, and you can track exactly what happened, you know, from the snap to the whistle. 
in basketball, the plays are relatively short. There's lots of stops and starts and ball goes out of bounds. There's a foul, you know, there's a timeout, something of that nature. In hockey, for example, or certainly in soccer, much more lengths of time between stoppages. Does that make it more difficult to put the data or to, to, to extract data from the movement on the pitch and the movement on the field? I think so for us, at least the way we're architecturally set up. Uh, you know, every we, we divide everything up into a play and we store that uh, that way in a database. We store it locally in, in files that we're analyzing. You know, if we're talking to, like if I was to talk to the sport logic guys, they call it eventing. So they, they take all these different snapshots in time of when something occurred and you know then from there then you could you could kind of try and create your own i'm using air quotes again your play within the you know within the the game yep then analyze that subset of the game at yep. the end of the day you've got to kind of break it break everything down to some small subset for us that's that's all the way down to game key play id and we'll go from there Jeremy, sport is a big business, but there aren't that many sort of players out there if you think about it, right? I mean, in the NFL, you can only sell to, you know, 32 teams and, you know, baseball is similar, right? Do you see the industry spending enough money? Um, I imagine we're going to see more of this than less of this going into the future. But is it, be- is it be- going to become sort of a, a, a big aspect of, you know, what they do on a, on a regular basis? For our little six-person company that's looking to grow to seven or eight, yes, it's absolutely enough financially to, to keep us involved. That's what we've kind of always said is we just want to be, you know, we enjoy being involved uh, in what we're doing here and serving our customers. We're sports guy, sports plus data guys first, sports and technology guys, and then business guys second, uh, for sure. So from a financial aspect, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's plenty for us to, to chew on. You know, we just recently, I don't know, four or five months ago, we just hired kind of our first strategy uh, business development young guy, Nate. He, he talks about growth through account expansion. There's enough of a, of a market for us to, and there's they and, and they have enough needs for us to continue to provide them value, whether that's at the pro level, at the college level, we're talking about building a practice product uh, for them. And so we've got all of those different, you know, elements that they're, again, they're kind of half- you know, five, 10 years behind baseball, we think there's enough for us, certainly. And then long-term, yeah, let, you know, there's obviously we talk about how can we impact the fan or the better or Joe Sixpack. Uh, we, we think about those all the time. And that's, you know, one of those is a, one of those six bullets on the whiteboard. Right. Oh, so there may be some B2C elements coming down the line too. Yeah, we, we think uh, we're, we're uh, kind of taking our first Fourier into that this summer and uh, we'll see how it goes. It's, we want to kind of uncover the whole, you don't know what you don't know. Right. We've never done a B2C. So trying to figure that out first and then and uh, learn from it and then maybe do something down the road even even bigger or different. Following up on Vlad's question just about, you know, the, the scope of the marketplace. And it sounds like you have a roadmap whereby your existing clients have more needs coming down the line. And, you know, you're going to continue to serve, you know, the the NFL teams, for example, that you work with, um, you know, in a deeper capacity and maybe even a broader capacity. I'm actually interested to learn a little bit about what you guys are doing with the NCAA. Vlad and I have been, you know, on our podcast, been talking about, you know, the size of college football and how that is an industry in itself. And it actually dwarfs, you know, many professional sports globally. 
I imagine that is a significant marketplace for you guys right now. There are many more, you know, high-ranked, relatively large college programs, you know, with money that I imagine that you are you are currently partnering with or perhaps looking to partner to partner with based on your existing football expertise. Yeah, no question. You know, when we started telemetry four or five years ago, we kind of had this vision of, you know, let's let's build this where the experts are, uh, which obviously at the is the NFL. And then over time, as the appetite continues to grow, we'll we'll start to serve others. And as more data becomes available, never in my wildest dreams by 2020, would I now even 2021, would I have thought that the technology is there for computer vision to be able to to track players for, on film and then turn it into XY data. I just, I just naturally, I thought that was five, you know, another five years out. I knew it could be done, but I didn't think we were even close there. And when Sport Logic, uh, Blaine at Sport Logic came by, and kind of said, "You got to see this. You got to see this. You got to see this." We went up to Montreal and talked to them, and they really blew us away. So yeah, uh, we're kind of still, still at the infant stages. Uh, I think uh, you know, naturally, COVID just kind of set us back a year in terms of uh, the product itself, but. We're trying to figure out that college product right now as we as we speak, whether it's transfer portal, obviously has been a hot topic over the past month or two or several months, I should say. And is that what the product looks like? Does it look more like a competition product for developing scouting reports, et cetera? So we're, we're working through those steps right now uh, as we speak. Jeremy, I think in the past you were selling to teams specifically, but I think in one of your interviews in the past, you also indicated that this information is now available league-wide throughout, throughout uh, at least throughout football, if I understand this correctly. So as players move from team to team, maybe this data follows them, right? Is this information that, that the players can also tap into themselves to understand how they can personally benefit from it? And the other reason I'm, I'm asking this is then where does the ownership of the, of the data, you know, you know, reside and potentially what does that mean for NIL also? Now, you know, this might be a lot of sort of different questions, but I'll, I'll see, I'll see what you have to say with, you know, one of, one of those. Sure. So I honestly don't know about the, the players' rights to the data. We'd have to check the collective bargaining agreement on that one. Number two, I would say we know that the NFL owns the data way back to, if I got my years right, I think 2018, uh, and, and before, each team only got their own players, so their own side of the ball data. So if you're the Indianapolis Colts, you got access to just your players, both offense and defense, but you didn't have the context for the other side of the ball. So, yeah, you could still get your performance metrics in terms of accelerations, top speeds, distance traveled, and that was great. But it couldn't. we couldn't really use it for opponent scouting or any type of other player scouting. And then... At the the competition committee finally uh, passed that the all 32 could get all 32s data, and uh, that's kind of when things completely changed. Whether it was, you know, using it for for free, free agents or trades or opponent scouting, that's when when things kind of got cut switched around and and really accelerated uh, the use of the tracking data inside the sport. Makes sense, yeah. And and the reason I'm 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 also asking this because I think with name, image, and likeness, I, I I wonder in college what this means, right? Because at some point, and I'm sure this happens maybe not directly, but indirectly on some level, based on the player performance, is where the teams see value in this player, also, right? So if the player kind of doesn't have access to that, maybe he wants to have access to that to understand that aspect of it better as well, which which I'm sure is. Um, 
gray area at this point. Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's something that we just kind of have to figure those things out as we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about the uh, investor appetite right now, Jeremy, for um, what you guys are doing? I'm sure you've had this question a million times. Where are people? Are you being circled right now? Are you being pitched by people who want to help you expand? You mentioned. I'm actually you know, want to congratulate you and your team, six person outfit working, you know, with the NFL and working intimately with a number of teams. That's huge. You know, I think there are so many organizations much larger than you who are desperate to, you know, get a piece of the big league, so to speak, but you've managed to crack it relatively early on in your in your company's history and with a, a clearly very talented but also relatively small team. What's happening on the finance side? What's happening on the investment side for you guys? Yeah, so it's it's always been our goal to to stay, you know, positive, stay cash flow positive. That's a that's a we're Midwestern conservative financially guys that that uh, we're not on the either coast where every dollar we get we want to spend, but we don't want to spend any more than that. Now I wouldn't I'd be lying if I wouldn't be saying that last year was was tough on the business overall, but uh, we've we've come out come out of it with a with a strong position. I think because we were. Uh, so strong financially in terms of being prudent with our finances. You know, I, th- I think as we continue to grow, y- yes, uh, you know, the sports analytics and sports is, is, is pretty hot right now in terms of venture uh, capital. You know, we, we listen just like, just like any, you know, any good GM should always listen to trades, you know, trade opportunities uh, to try and improve his team. We always are listening for ways for us to improve our team, whether that's, bring in new guys uh, and help develop the products or is that uh, find a, find a new partner that can really help us accelerate and grow or the people we really look for are not just people that can help us financially, but have something else that strategically is a, is a great partnership for us, whether that's, you know, we don't have everybody on our team either has intimate knowledge of sports or is, is, uh, is very, very strong technically. And so we don't have kind of the, you know, the traditional accounting finance person. So we got to do a lot of that ourselves or the legal person. Uh, and so if we could find somebody even on those fronts that can help guide us and give us institutional rigor that, that would really help us, you know, grow as a, as a company, both personally uh, for each one of us, but then together, you know, allowing us to, to go attack a new market or attack a new opportunity that, you know, before maybe we weren't positioned to do. Uh, I, think we're, I think we're in a great spot right now from that aspect, though, for sure. So on that point of personal growth and your company's growth, you know, as one of the co-founders, what is what are your goals now um, for telemetry? Where would you like to see the business, you know, three to five years from now? What, what is your vision? Yeah, it's uh, kind of something I, I ask myself all the time. I don't like to look out much more than than two or three years. I think things just change way too quickly. You know, even from a tech perspective, we don't we don't groom our backlog. We don't we don't have an organized backlog because things change so quickly. When we come in at 10 a.m. and uh, or if we're working on something at 10 a.m. and we think we think we're going to spend the the half, rest of the next half day on that by two by 2 p.m. the thing has changed, and then by 4 p.m. the thing has changed again. So. Uh, where do we see ourselves? Um, I mean, we we just we just want to continue to be involved and have our product used and help these guys. Uh, we just want to serve our customers and, and help them be as efficient as possible. We've got some internal, you know, kind of goals that that are that the guys on the team we connect them very closely to the 
to the data and the numbers uh, with how we are uh, positioned, you know, financially and growth wise. But at the end of the day, I think it'd be awesome if X percent of the NFL and X percent of college football, we're all using telemetry. And then you get this kind of natural from there, you get natural growth when a, a coach moves from team to team and he's been using telemetry for for five, six years now. That's kind of the way we see it. And that coach demands his uh his new club or his new team says, I'm not signing unless uh, unless we have Jeremy's product uh, on my desk when I show up on Monday morning. That would be a dream. That would be a dream for sure, Alan. So as you uh, kind of canvass the industry over the next, you know, five years or so, Jeremy, where do you see the industry the industry going? What 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 is it what is it gonna look like? You know, what is analytics and sports going to look like in, you know, five years? I guess I don't really see, you know, a huge shift. I just I you know, I think uh, one of the things is uh, the, the chart that kind of sticks out to me if we're if we're kind of sticking on football here is the the percentage of fourth down go no go has increased over the last five six eight years um, I just see that you know kind of continuing to grow um, I don't see a big step function here I do see teams starting to invest more in technology and data that can that can help them become efficient and you know, maybe that's telemetry or maybe that's them hiring internal folks to help them build and, and build the metrics that, that are interesting to them. You know, obviously we do that stuff for teams right now. You know, for us, uh, that's kind of where I see the industry at the top level. And then I certainly see it continuing to grow kind of downstream or, or down the ladder as well. You know, there's not many, for example, in college football, there's not many, you know, data guys or, or analytics folks or analysts in, in the, uh, you know, FBS. I think if you look back at, at the NFL five years ago, I, I don't know how many there were, you know, plus probably a handful. And I think uh, I think as you, you know, as you as you continue to grow sports data and analytics across the across the industry, eventually you'll start to see at the high school level that become a role on, on an organization or, or a guy on the headset is is, you know, maybe he's a senior aspiring uh, mathematician or a senior engineering, uh, you know, wants to be an engineer in college that's going to be on the headset and say, hey, coach, here, here are the numbers. And he's, a lot of these elements here, I think coaches just have to embrace more. And then there's plenty of people to fill those roles. And, and a lot of times you don't need that. Not a lot of times. Most of the time you don't need that heavy PhD that spent, you know, that just coming out of his PhD. He's 28 years old to tell you what to do. You, you just need a, you know, somebody that's, that is a little bit well-versed in math and kind of understands what the numbers say or don't say. And then at the end of the day, the coach has to trust, you know, his processes. And then there's still kind of that gut, whatever you want to call it, that gut aspect that, hey, it doesn't feel right right now because. And that because could be a half dozen reasons, maybe injuries or maybe weather or other things that, you know, you didn't account for. You know, I just, it's a, it's an embrace. It's just a mentality that you're going to continue to embrace it. And I think it just kind of, it'll continue to, to progress over time. Where can people find more about your company? Yeah, we're we're actually have a pretty small presence on Twitter at Telemetry Sports. We've got a website, telemetrysports.com. We're not marketing guys or, or branding guys by any means. So it's a pretty small footprint overall for Sean Heise and, and our guys at Craft to try and help and do us help promote us in, in the you know out there with, with our their help on our on our website and, and obviously other aspects of our product. But uh, yeah, those are the two places. Well, we found you on Twitter already, so we'll uh, we'll we'll make sure that your uh, your good name gets uh, pushed out uh, a little bit more frequently, at least uh, in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you very much for your time. Uh, stay safe. Hey, thanks, guys. You too. 
appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, and um, we look forward to seeing how you how you guys develop. Thank you very much again. Thanks, Anand. Thanks, Vlad. All the best. Have a great day. Thanks, Jeremy. Anand, good chat. There was a interesting conversation where this business is heading. Really, really smart guy and um, fantastic business model. This is really yeah. Good. Just just three master's degrees from Notre Dame, Stanford, and MIT. No big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and they have a lean team as well. Just six people with these fantastic uh, contracts with multiple NFL teams. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What an achievement! Absolutely, big things for their company and and for other companies. You know, doing analytics in the in the sports arena. It's 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 only going yeah. to be very exciting. It's going to be very interesting. I like this space. I really do. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, in our uh, final segment here called Overtime, today we're going to cover a little bit of a, of a somber news item here. But Anand, I know you're a golfer and, uh, you know, this was a big week for golf with Tiger, you know, escaping death, essentially, you know, very narrowly, too. Uh, we're all happy that he's sounds like he's doing good. He's doing fine. He's out of surgery and he's awake. Any any thoughts from you on that? Well, you know, there's not a great deal to say. Um except you know we you know we wish him well obviously and you know we wish his wish his family you know strength as it were in a pretty traumatic time you know he's got young kids and uh any parent would be would be worried about how their kids are taking something something so so big and so difficult there's going to be a lot of speculation everyone's going to put their spin on it you know is he going to play golf again is he going to win a major again you know is he going to be able to walk properly again i think that's like the furthest thing from, or golf is certainly the furthest thing from yeah. Tiger's mind right now. You know, he's, I think he wants to make sure that he can be there for his family. That's probably his first and only consideration. So yeah, and and it's too soon. I think that's where I would leave it right now. Yeah, and I think it's just too soon. I mean, at this point, you you don't know what kind of physical uh, you know damage he had. I mean, we don't know that yet. Yeah. Whether it's just the legs, whether there's some back injury, whether it's shoulders, I mean, you know, it, it's it's all going to depend on on all of that. So, um, but we wish him well, and you know, yeah, he certainly transformed the game of sport, I think, in so many ways, and we hope that uh, that he continues to to do so in the in the years to come. So, well, Anand, another good show. We want to thank the listeners for their for their time. We know that if you're listening to this show, you know how to subscribe to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button, tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to get in touch, please connect with us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Anand, good game. Great game. Thanks, Vlad. We'll uh, we'll chat again next week.